Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Many of you are listening to this podcast because you're curious about the Hebraic roots of your faith. You may have called yourself a Christian for many years, or maybe not so many. You understand that Jesus died on the cross in order for you to obtain forgiveness for your sins. You're amazed and grateful, and you want to heed his call to be more like him. The question then becomes, how do I become more like him? Logically, the answer would be to find out exactly who he was and is. Jesus was actually a Middle Eastern man, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the tribe of Judah. He spoke Hebrew. His real name was Yeshua, not Jesus. He was born to Jewish parents and raised to follow the law of God, which we call the Torah. His everyday behaviors and customs would seem quite foreign to most of us in the Western world. And because we can't relate to who the real Jesus was, it has become much easier to recreate Jesus in our own image, bestowing upon him all of our customs and ways of thinking and doing. In the church, we've created a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Greek-thinking Jesus. We've created a Jesus who has done away with his Heavenly Father's commands and teachings. We've created a Jesus who changed the seventh day of rest, the Sabbath, to the first day, the Lord's Day or Sunday. We've created a Jesus who celebrates holidays the real Jesus would not have ever known or celebrated. We've created a Jesus who has abandoned his own people and replaced them with Gentile Christians. After thousands of years, this transformation of Jesus into our own image is complete. So much so that when we begin to hear that perhaps our Jesus is not the historical Jesus, we get confused, even angry. Could the church institution have been wrong all these years? Could we have been wrong all these years? Those are daunting questions, ones that make us squirm in our soul. And yet, you're probably listening because these are the very questions you're currently wrestling with. Do not fear, my friends, you're not alone. While there are not great numbers of us who are hearing and responding to the call to return to the ancient paths, there are enough of us to know that something is going on here, something of God, something of his spirit. If you're any bit like I am, you know that this paradigm shift in your understanding of your faith must be from God because it certainly wasn't anything you sought after yourself. You heard a word from a friend. You had an experience that you can only identify as being a God thing. You've responded because something deep within you can't help but respond, even though logic and experience, friends and family, and institutions may try to convince you that you're wrong. But if this is from God, it is not wrong, and you should not ignore or dismiss it. Search it out as you would a very special and valuable treasure. God has not cast his pearls before swine. He knows what is in your heart and has allowed you the responsibility to respond to his purposes and plans that are part of the final restoration of his kingdom on earth. Today, Gary and I would like to encourage you by sharing our own testimonies of how God brought us to this understanding of the Hebraic roots of our faith and how everything in our lives changed from that moment on. After this message, let's talk about what God is doing in our lives and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. 
If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. Well, hello, Gary. <laughs> Good to be back, Kathy. Yes, it, it's been a little while, yeah. and uh, there's always challenges in life uh, that, that, that we're sure. dealing with. Um, but, you know, we have talked in the past, we, we've alluded to, spoken a little bit about our own personal testimonies. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we've even had um, some of our audience respond and ask us to share more. Yeah. So that was what prompted um, us this time to decide, okay, we're just going to go ahead and share our testimony about how we came to be where we are at this time. Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea. And it's it's time that we do that. Um, you know, just a, a quick comment, you mentioned in the intro about uh, this, this Jesus in our own image. Just yesterday, I saw this TikTok video that it was placed on, I think it was the Blaze email, of a pastor who is talking about um, drag is holy. Did well, you see that? I did drag not see holy. that. You know, and I'm okay with not seeing that. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of what you spoke of um, could, could seem like it was is harmless. You know, we, we, we go about, you know, we, we, we say that uh, we worship Jesus and we go about our business. But it, it's a slippery slope that goes unnoticed by many, by most, and for all these years. And now we're to the place where a pastor could stand with rainbow-colored vestments on and talk about drag is holy. That's how far we've come. That's a really good point, because you're right. We may not have noticed it just mm -hmm. because we've changed Jesus to blonde hair and blue-eyed. Right. What does that really hurt? Okay, right. But if we get started down that path that's what becomes very dangerous and we haven't just started down that path we are, we are way, way down, down that path, path right? exactly yeah <laughs> but what's really cool though is that while that exists in the world gary and i see also what god is doing at the same time mm -hmm. while it's almost like there's this big division you know god is all about separating i, I remember yeah. learning that as a, a student of hebraic thought that god is about separating and dividing from mm -hmm. the very very beginning you know he divided um he divided the light from the darkness right right yeah. the pattern started right in genesis and so he is about separating and it seems like that's what he's doing now yeah and so while things like that are happening at the same time we're seeing where he is drawing his people back to him, wooing them back to truth. And many people are responding to that. And that's yeah, what's exciting. I think exciting. Both, both are true. Yes, absolutely. And we have been blessed to be part of this response, I guess I'll call it, mm -hmm. um, for, I'd say, what, 20 plus years, Gary? I, I, I was thinking about my testimony when you brought this up, and it actually, my journey started about 30, over 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. So yours was a little bit longer yeah. than, than well, mine may, was. Well, maybe not the, the return. No, yes, yes. The, 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 the spark was uh, in 1991. And then the the initial journey really starts in 1992. I'll I'll share so that. So that was so so yeah. that was a little that was a little before mine, but not mm -hmm. but not much because what's interesting is that much of the stories when you go around and you talk to people, you do hear of a similar time frame yeah. when this was starting. Yeah. Um, it wasn't 40 or 50 years ago. Right. It's 20 to 30 years right. ago. Right. Right. That's true. You know. So so what I thought we would do first is just take turns kind of sharing how we grew up, what was our faith as we mm -hmm. grew up, and how we even came to know Jesus, sure. the, even if it's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, yeah. how we Not came to know who him he really was. as yeah. our Savior. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and let you start. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Well, for me, um, I was raised Catholic, 
and I know a lot of people's Wasn't testimony. everybody raised Yeah, a lot of people's testimonies <laughs> start that way, don't they? But with that, I had a, a, a knowledge of God, but no real conviction. You know, I didn't have a relationship with, with the Lord, and I did not have a conviction that uh, would, you know, the, the fruit wasn't there. Let's put it that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, through... Uh, a night of, of you know, my typical, you know, drinking on the weekends became drinking during the week and, you know, on and on partying all the time. And one night uh, I was sleeping it off in my car. I knew, at least I had the wherewithal not to drive. And I woke up and I said these words and I know that the Lord heard them. I said, oh, God, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Is this what my life is going to be? You know, just just living for the next uh, party. And with that, I believe a, a, a searching started in my heart for some truth, some some reality. So what, what is it really all about? And I had a sister and brother-in-law who I loved and respected dearly who had 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 a born again experience. And so they started talking to me about what it meant to make Jesus Lord of your life. So that's when, you know, with this constant struggling going on over, you know, party this weekend, try to be a better guy the next day, you know, on and on going on like that for months, finally went to Jacksonville where they lived. And I told them, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I need a change. I need I need the Lord. And he, they walked me through a, a salvation prayer, sinner's prayer, bought me my first Bible. And I went back to work that Monday, came home and went back to work that Monday, determined to be different. Wow. And I was. I, I put a little pin on my collar, said, I'm a king's kid. And, um, you know, somebody, somebody noticed it and, and I, would, I would tell them. I would start talking to them about it. And, uh, you know. Uh, and how old were you? I was, I think, 22, okay. 20, around 22. Yeah. So I, my party years were probably you know, maybe, maybe four or five heavy partying years, you know, and that was, I just had enough, you know. And um, so uh, I, I said I was going to, I was going to witness to the first person uh, that I had an opportunity to witness to. And a friend of mine I knew had broken up with a, uh, uh, his girlfriend. And I thought, you know, he's going to be really down. Maybe I'll have an opportunity to talk to him. And I said, I saw him in the hall one day and I said, Marty, how you doing? He says, great. And I did not expect that answer. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, there goes my witnessing opportunity. And no, he said, I accepted Jesus wow. like that. And I looked at him and I said, no way. And I told him my story. He invited me to church, which I hadn't found one yet, you know, other than the Catholic Church. So he invited me to church that, that you know, that next night it was a midweek service. Went there and I sat down and I looked to my right and there was another young man that I had worked with when I was 18. And we hit, you know, we started talking, laughing. I mean, my, my, the Lord provided me a whole new set of friends and because my old friends thought I was crazy. And that was that was the beginning wow. of my journey. I don't journey. think I've ever actually heard that story from you. I know okay. a lot about yeah. you and your background, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't think we go. We've gone quite that far back. Yeah, yeah. No, we probably haven't talked about that. No, not yeah, so, that, that. But yeah. you know what? That's the first step. Yeah, it is. You, you know, um, most of us we had this first step. I mean, I was raised Catholic also, mm -hmm. and. So I did go to church and Sunday school, first communion, first confession, yeah. you know, all the of that, works. dressed like a little bride, you know, <laughs> and coming forward. And so I was there uh, all the time. Um, well, all the time on Sunday, right? Okay, right. That was when, when I was there. And so my parents did their duty in that respect. And, and so that was good. But I, too, did not have a relationship. And it didn't necessarily, it wasn't really something I thought of outside of church so much i was always a very good girl good i was always the girl um my sister laughs because we'd have a babysitter come over and i was the one to remind the babysitter that it was time for us to go to bed and karen <laughs> would like kick me and like what are you doing you know and but i would always try to do the right thing but when we were in high school my sister and i was only a year younger than i am um, it just so happened where we were there in North Carolina that the organization Young Life was a was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And 
actually, some of the cool kids went to these weekly Young Life meetings where they got together and they sang. There was always a guy with a guitar, and they were they were singing worship songs and talking. There'd be a short little lesson. But it was actually like the cool place to be. So we got interested in doing that. And so we started to, to go and attend this once a week. And then the Young Life group uh, said, that they're going to Myrtle Beach. Okay, so Myrtle Beach, you know, I was in Charlotte. That's a great place. You know, you, you go over to Myrtle Beach for a weekend. We're like, great, we're going to go. We're going to meet some new guys. This will be great. My sister and I thought this was a great opportunity, uh -huh. okay? Well, we get over there, and we hear the gospel shared, and I always laugh. I said, we went to meet, we meant to meet guys, and uh, <laughs> and we met Jesus. There you go. And so the ultimate guy. That was the ultimate guy, and that happened for both of us. Good. And we came home, and we were sharing with our parents, who did not quite understand yeah, they don't. that what had actually happened, you know, and so... We decided at that point, my sister and I had some friends who were going to a different church, a non-denominational church, and we said, we'd like to go there. So we started to go there, and our parents then went with us. And in time, they started to hear the gospel, and they had both had born-again experiences, but it was uh, kind of accompanying their their two daughters mm -hmm. so it was kind of a kind of a backwards way that that happened right <laughs> That's good though. but but i never had like you did that time where i i i partied or i was so involved in deep-seated sin or anything like that it was just kind of this morphine through my life mm. so i always say well my my conversion experience really isn't very interesting. Most people have a much more interesting conversion. No, it's okay. You were spared <laughs> those years exactly. of wasted time. <laughs> um, but it wasn't like, you know, whoa, but, but it doesn't matter, right? right? That, that part doesn't matter. But, you know, I still, even with that, and, and that did change in mm. my, my life. And so I was attending a different church and uh, meeting new people and different opportunities. And so I did, that brought me closer. It brought me into relationship, but I could still see fast forwarding till the time really I had a young child mm -hmm. that my life was still my faith on the weekends more than anything else. Okay. Yeah. I was still a, I, okay, I'll say I was still a good person, obviously, a, yeah. a sinful person, but I wasn't out drinking and cheating and stealing right. or doing anything like that. I, I wasn't, you know. But so I'm sitting there uh, in the Baptist church. I, I was ex I felt like that was where I would close closely fit my belief system, mm -hmm. which was fine. But after being there for quite some time on the pews, I just felt like there was something missing. God put a hunger in me after all of those years that I would sit there and I'm like, okay, I do get this. I do agree with this. You know, hearing the, the gospel of Jesus, I get that. Right. But I'm like, okay, what next? Yeah. What do we do now? Yeah. That's where I was. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, I think um, my, our stories are similar. I mean, maybe I wasn't the idea of getting tired of hearing salvation message over and over and over and over again. But I saw initially in the first church I attended, which I loved and I helped uh, even build a new you know, building with them and everything. And, and pastor was great, uh, Mary, Darlene, and I. Um, but I did not care for what I was hearing in some of the, like the prosperity message, prosperity gospel. Um, that, was, that was the first issue that I started having. Um, we ended up going to another church, and um, I think this period, over a period of 10 years between the two, I still just felt like there's something missing here. I'm just this not, even though I, my life had changed for the better, and my, I loved the Lord, and, and I was living uh, for Him as much best I thought I could, um, I knew something was missing, and I didn't know what it was. So then what was that? When did you realize? So that spark that I spoke of <laughs> yes. earlier happened when um, Neil and Jamie Lash, who had uh, Jewish Jewels ministry, came to the church and did a Seder. They did. They they talked about you know Jesus in you know in the Passover, and wow, something something ignited in me. It's like I'm I've been missing something. Mm 
And so with that, um, I was open to when my brother-in-law came to me, who was attending the church that I would later pastor, he came to me and said, you know, you need to read Romans chapter 11 again. Now, and this is the same brother-in-law that led you to Christ? No, oh, a, a different, different brother-in-law. One. Oh, well, no, he has no, a good my, brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I, have some good, I have some great brother-in-laws. Um, different brother-in-laws shared with me uh, that to read Romans 11. And I sat down. He must have heard from God because I sat down with him and I read through it. And I was like, I saw it with new eyes. Mm-hmm. The, the light came on. I, I said, we're part of something mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. He says, exactly. And that was, I mean, that, that was the, a watershed moment, of course. And within, uh, within the same year, I went to Washington, D.C. for an IC, uh, International Christian Embassy Jerusalem event. It was lobbying George Bush Sr. because he was holding loan guarantees hostage from Israel trying to convince them they could not build homes for the Soviet Jews that were now coming out of the newly collapsed Soviet Union. They were trying to build homes for them, and they, all they wanted was loan guarantees, and George Bush Sr. was holding that hostage to get his way with Israel. Well, we were going to lobby, and it was on that trip, a bus ride into uh, Capitol Hill, that I heard the words in my, th- in my thoughts, you're going to help Jewish people get home to Israel. It was back then in 1992 that I heard that, and I had no idea what that meant or what, how that was going to happen. So how did you get to that event? I mean, that was... We, we flew. We took with our own money. We but I mean, flew how up. did you... Okay, you're sitting in the church who... That was or, your brother-in-law that, that, that my, my, invited my, you to go to that event? Well, because... Okay, I, I, I left something out. Yeah, we started going to that church okay. because I knew this is the answer. This church supported Israel. Okay, that's okay. And yeah, that, that's was, good. that was... I figured you flew unless you walked to D.C., right? <laughs> <laughs> How did I get to that point? Yeah. Uh, no, we, uh, we, we started attending. Darlene and I started attending a church that was supporting Israel. Okay. So now so you're now stepping I'm into saying, this. I've realized that Israel matters. Israel matters, and that as a Christian, I should support and love Israel. And so that's why I went to D.C. and um, and I'll, I'll take it this far. A year later, I made my first trip to Israel. Ninety. Nineteen ninety-three. Nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, at this okay. point, and um, I that. My life was never the same. That, that's how my, it usually is once you get to Israel. <laughs> my life. I mean, I've been almost 30 times now, but that first trip I will never forget as long as I live. It changed my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, so, okay, so what you did was you took the step from, okay, Jesus is my Savior yes. to realizing that, okay, there's something bigger uh, there, this that I'm connected to. When that I accepted I should, him, yes. Yeah, when I accepted him, I was grafted into something. Exactly, but you yeah. didn't quite understand that no, when I it did first not. happened. No, right? I did That's not. Usually, it's usually stages, right? Mm-hmm. So now you you're grafted into something that you should really be interested in, look into, care about, and this is Israel. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. That was the next step. That in was my the life. next step, and yeah. you know, it very similarly. I spent all those years at the church, okay, not, I did not understand at all what I was part of, and I, I did end up, and I think I've shared this with the audience a little bit, I was at a Baptist church here in Florida, and I joined a dance team, and I was, I was very interested in dance, my daughter was young, like five, and she wanted to dance, so um, mommy and daughter decided Mm -hmm. this was going to be the ministry that we were going to be in together. And so when I go there, the the leader of the dance team, who subsequently became my best and dearest friend, um, was talking about Israel. And I, having uh, grown up in uh, the, the Midwest, Indiana, she was talking about Israel, Jewish people. I'd never known a Jewish person personally that mm-hmm. I can remember, Gary. I, I just can't remember sure. that. Um, and I had never... I'd heard Israel, but it never meant anything to me mm-hmm. at whatsoever, nothing at all. So I was rather curious. I was like, why we're dancing, but she's talking about Israel. What are we doing here? But there was an opportunity for, uh, 
for some of my friends and I to dance in D.C. And I thought, this is great. We're all going to go to D.C. for this great vacation. We'll <laughs> leave our, our kids with, our, with our, our husbands, which we all did. And we took off to D.C. with our new white dresses. And we were going <laughs> to dance. I don't think I even knew what the event was that we were going mm-hmm. to. And I really didn't care. And I get there, and it just so happens that this is a Zionist conference. Uh. Well, I didn't even know what a Zionist was, or what you know. (laughs) I I didn't know, and I and once again, I didn't care Mm -hmm. because I was going to get to dance, okay, and be in D.C. with my friends. So I'm sitting there in my white dress, waiting for our opportunity to dance, and I'm listening, okay. I'm listening to what people are saying, and that was the time when a a, a guy got up there from a group called the David Project, and he put up a map of, you know the one, it's that little tiny tiny Israel Israel surrounded by all of the hostile Muslim Arab nations. And Gary, that was what changed my life. I looked at that map having never seen anything like it before or cared in the least little bit. And while I was sitting there, I so much remember God was said, everything in your life is going to change now. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what that meant or anything. I didn't, I didn't have any idea, but I knew it had something to do with Israel, Yeah, that everything was going to change because of that tiny little country yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew it. Isn't it amazing? It, uh, you don't understand it, but it's, it's it's like this magnetism that God reveals to you, and he's calling you, he's choosing you to be a part of something. And what's the beauty of it is it's not of you. You, no. you don't know. No. You don't no. know. Any, I'm not saying everybody's experience is exactly the same, but I know he plucked me out of of ignorance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know. I didn't care. I yeah, had other I, things going on. I knew. I knew nothing. I knew nothing of Israel, and this when when I realized that we were a part of it, I just had to know. Right, and that's how. So when exactly? Yeah. So I left, and I remember uh, talking to this my who's now my best friend Teresa on the way home, and we both realized that something was going to happen and big, and so we actually at that point said, okay, what can we do? Um, maybe within the church, uh, teach about Israel. What mm-hmm. what are we going to do? And we prayed and we fasted because we were looking for a name for whatever this new thing was going to be. And we we God gave us the name Project Restoration. Now, once again, I wasn't even sure what the restoration referred to. Uh-huh. But you I, got the name. But I got the name. Isn't that amazing? And so. Then I had to learn. Wait, wait, wait. What is this? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what well, am I doing that's here? That's how what is you my to learn. mission yeah. here? Uh, I had a name, but okay. So what? What do I learn? And and from there, it was like I I went from zero to a hundred miles per hour trying to figure out what it was I was supposed to know. And as I learned it. The teacher inside of me, that that gifting that I had, then said, turned around and said, "Okay, I got to teach somebody else. Yeah, I I can't hold this back. Mm-hmm. It's too big. It's too much, and I I I just had to. Every time I learned something, I had to share it with with someone else, which I continue to do. Yeah, that's that's just <laughs> in your DNA. Like <laughs> that's in your DNA. <laughs> so so it seems like you know, like what we've said is we've gone through this process where the first step is Yeshua. Yes. And certainly throughout the last two thousand plus years, millions, billions of people have come to know Yeshua without a Hebraic understanding of who Yeshua was. Yes, that's the power of who he is and the power of his spirit because he's preserved himself, obviously, through the perversion of his name and his character and his reputation and all those things that have happened over the last 1,700 years plus. Um, it's his word. It's word of God. The word of God and and the power of who his son is and the power of his spirit have have kept these things alive and they're just there waiting for us to come along and understand it and, and it gives realize. me chills yeah. even to hear about it right yeah. now yeah. you know i didn't get to to 
to Israel until 2005, mm-hmm. but it was still that um, International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem yeah, yeah, event. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, yeah. which I would highly recommend mm-hmm. uh, for everyone to, to experience. But it was actually there that, of course, God took me to a new level of understanding. Uh-huh. And, and, and Gary, I was walking the path that Jesus walked, right? Mm-hmm. And that was all really, really powerful to me. But I have to admit that the most powerful part of that 10-day experience was being part of an experience where thousands of Christian believers were responding to this call to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast together. And you knew you weren't crazy. And I wasn't crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there as they did the roll call of the nations, which they do, I think, every year. And they heard all the countries that had come. And and I've shared this story, I think, on the podcast, that they, they called out Cuba. And I remember thinking, how did they know in Cuba to come to this? And mm. then how did they get here? Mm. Um, how did they know? I, it was amazing. So I, then it was there that I started meeting other people, literally, who God was calling in the same way and at the same time, who were maybe their first time to Israel too, you yeah. know, this Feast of Tabernacles. And then what was so fun, funny, I remember meeting, it was in... Um, the Temple Institute, like they have a mm-hmm. shop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember talking to a couple different people who had started ministries literally in other nations with the name Restoration, whatever in whatever yeah. language that yeah. would be, right? And we all got that part of the message from the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that this was something about the restoration, which I've come to know the restoration of God's kingdom on earth, Amen. right? Amen. And I was still figuring all of that out, but that God was giving that same message to, to people, people all the over world. the world. And that's why they were there yeah. at that. That's so that a, was exciting. so profound. And, uh, and the March of the nations through mm-hmm. Jerusalem where mm-hmm. all of the nations yeah. um, go and show their support to me, those experiences of I am living in prophetic times, I am fulfilling prophecy by being here, was was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not just reading about it. Right. I'm not Actually learning about something that happened several thousand years ago, as important and critical as that was. Right. But I was part of what was happening in prophecy now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a very similar experience because of that. Uh, I, I did. I went back because my trip changed me so much. I volunteered with the ICJ, and um, I, I, I remember coming back each time. I would go, and I would come back to work, and I would feel like I, w- I was looking at life from the outside in. You know, all these people were walking around, and I was somewhere else, and I thought, I cannot do this the rest of my life. I have to, I have to be doing what God has called me to do. It can't be just a volunteer trip once a year or once every every year, other year. So I at that point determined that I had to I I, I during the in the 90s I I went ahead and finished and got my bachelor's in business. But I thought I've got to I can't keep going to school for secular work. You know, I mean, could have gone for a master's, a doctorate, whatever, you know, in business. I said, no, I can't do this. I have to be about what God wants me to do. I knew I had that word back in 1992. I said, how am I going to make that happen? In my mind, I felt it was the, the, the Spirit's direction was to get credentialed, mm-hmm. start, start using my study time instead of for, for, co- business, for, college, <laughs> for business for credentialing. So that's what I did. And I eventually became ordained, and um, that during that time is when the opportunity to pastor the very church that I was attending opened up, and I thought, well, this would at least give me that opportunity to be a lover and supporter of Israel from a, at a level as a pastor, and that's so that's what I did. I started everything that we did at that church, I felt was to, to gear to, to teach and to support, teach about and to support Israel. And what a platform. That's great. It was. It was a great platform, but it was still, it, this was that next level of getting doing this, you know, on a full-time basis, what I felt was what God had called me to do. But in the back of my mind, knowing that it wasn't exactly 
what he had called me to do and getting help, helping people get home. So one of the things we did was invited a speaker in to the ministry I'm now a part of, Ezra International, uh, that was Barry Wagner at the time. And, you know, we, we started supporting, my wife and I started supporting this work mm-hmm. of getting people home to Israel. And we felt, well, okay, now we're... So you're talking mid-90s? Where you're later no, now, now, now it's early 2000s. Early 2000s. Yeah, okay, yeah, early yeah. 2000s. Where I started supporting this work uh, that I'm doing now. And, and so was, were the people in your church open to also supporting Israel? Were they well, open to that much? Yes. They, this church was already a church, a church supporting Israel. My former pastor... And mentor he was he was all about a church that supports israel okay okay so that was the level that we are at now that was good yeah a very good level and i think every church in the world should be uh, you know to be and and more and more of them are yeah Um, recognize this and and support israel but that was where we were at this point i know there's another level Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about but we we felt this again very important and i feel every church in the world should be doing this at least uh, have a ministry or love and understanding of of Israel and how it's important to us as believers. So what we've gotten us both to this stage mm-hmm. of loving and supporting Israel and trying to teach others about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. my my you became a pastor. I became deeply involved in a performing arts ministry. That's what our project restoration became. It was a performing arts ministry. And we were teaching about Israel and the Jewish people through drama and dance and costumes mm-hmm. and pageantry and all of that. And a beautiful and, job, by the way. Well, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> and that's how we met up. That's okay? how we met. Yes. That's right. It's through that work. And um, I, I use Gary a few times with his um, Italian descent, looking a little bit Middle Eastern. So <laughs> he ended up being uh, Jesus for us a few times. Mm-hmm. And so we, but we, we met repeatedly at Israel supporting kinds of events or I came down to your church eventually. But, but where we're moving next, this deeper level of understanding is for me, actually the one that's been the most challenging, or at least to those around us, to me has also been the most exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where each of us moved from this idea of we're supporting Israel even maybe a vague understanding of some degree about being part of Israel. But now, what does being part of Israel actually mean and look like in our day-to-day lives? Right. Okay? It has to look like something and translate into something. It can't just exist on an intellectual head knowledge level. Right. No, and you, keep, you touched on it in your intro about emulating Yeshua. You know who we we have that expression. I, I like to say, you know, what would Jesus do? And I say, no, it, it was what what did he do? That's right. What did he do? How do we? How, he personified God's will on earth. How do we mimic that? That's the tricky part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because now this requires a deep dive into places where, as the institutional church has not always been willing to go. Correct. Starting with going back to the, the Old Testament and, and looking at what they now mean to us. If we become part of this family, we read about it in Paul mm-hmm. being part of the seed of Abraham. But honestly, Gary, I, that didn't mean anything to me, right? It, it, it's Not until that's much been later. Much yeah. later yeah. That what exactly does being part of this family, even you said you started to get that Romans 11 grafting in idea that where you recognize how important Israel is and then saying, oh my, this is, I'm this yeah now what does that look like so i know gary and you've shared some with uh, with the audience before but as you were starting to get this understanding and i know you wanted to teach it just like i did in your church maybe you can share what was going on then yeah well as as i began to recognize the pagan influence on the church and how many where, where we went wrong i mean and the history is easy to look up but it started um, working on me in my conscience because here I am, a teacher, a pastor, being held responsible for what I'm saying and doing and teaching and, and representing God you know, in, in the best way we can. 
And wow, I started thinking, I can't, I can't keep teaching what I know to be false. I started recognizing, for example, let's use this as an example. Um, here we are having uh, Easter egg hunts in the in the youth in the kids church, right? While I'm studying and re realizing that this is not, you know, Easter is not the uh, biblical feast, but we either have Passover unleavened bread and first fruits, who really rep re that represents that week of, of feast that we should be celebrating. And, um, you know, so we start calling Resurrection Day instead of Easter, but that wasn't good enough. And especially, it wasn't, I don't believe it's good enough for God. And I don't believe it was definitely not good enough for me. I, mm -hmm. I, I was still convicted. And so, um, you know, we purged these things, but I was being met with resistance, you know, over getting rid of these traditional things in the church. Um, and of course, you know, we were meeting on Friday nights doing a a discussion, a kind of a, a, a Bible discussion, a current events discussion. And, and that was our representation of the Sabbath. But it, again, it wasn't good enough, in my opinion. And it was this was really beginning to bother me. Uh, I was convicted over it. And I went to the Feast of Tabernacles, this time not as a volunteer, but just as a pilgrim. And I remember uh, somehow I, I, I got the 17th floor, the Crown Plaza Hotel, right next to the Ben Yenei Ha'uma Auditorium, blessed to be there. And I'm, I'm out on the balcony looking over the city of Jerusalem at night, the lights twinkling in the mountains and, and the, all over the city. And I just started having a conversation with God. I said, you know, Abba, I cannot be that man that Christian pastor that everybody expects me to be. I've got to teach your truths and, and it's going to it's going to be a real problem. <laughs> and he basically told me, just don't worry, just go back, be yourself, teach what I to tell, tell them what I'm teaching you, you know, to tell you, to tell them what I'm telling you. So I set myself to deeper study and I decided I was going to slowly, but surely introduce all of these truths that I'm that I'm that I'm that are being revealed to me, um, and I went, and a friend described it as trying to pull the congregation along with a spider web. Oh, yeah, because very, at, delicate. very <laughs> delicately, because at any moment it could snap, right? And a lot of people began to vote with their feet. They did not like the direction that that was going. But I knew that I had to be true to what God was teaching me. And one of them was the Sabbath, um, met with a lot of resistance. But uh, when we had the opportunity to change our service time from Sunday, and, and the reason why I, I felt this strongly about this, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the fourth commandment. And the ninth commandment is uh, don't be a false, don't bear false witness. And I, you know, there's this little study that we've done line about up the first line up the first the five and five. the second five. Yeah. So um, I felt we were being false witnesses by meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week when we were supposed to be meeting and congregating on the Sabbath. So that was one of the things that we did. And again, the, the congregation dwindled over these things. <laughs> um, but I felt that I was being true to the word of God. And keeping the feasts and, and keeping the Sabbath. And, and in my personal life, I, I, f I believe that the, the uh, biblical laws, the uh, dietary laws apply to us, uh, all these types of things. Um, and so for anybody out there who, who's thinking that this would be an easy journey, uh, you know, I felt I was naive enough to think that people trusted me over the years. I'd built a reputation of trust and, and you know, they would, uh, they would believe me because I'm, I'm pointing this out from the Word of God, but it just it, it didn't, didn't really go all that well, although there was a handful who see it. And, you know, you, you were attending. Yes. And you, you, a handful who, who saw it and believed it and were faithful to that, but uh, most did not. You know, and... I think that that's what's important if, you know, I, we actually, like I said, had someone ask about your testimony as a pastor, mm -hmm. because I know that more pastors are going to be brought into that decision. Mm -hmm. You know, am I going to continue? I mean, am I going to continue where we are, what's comfortable, what's bringing in money or whatever, versus this is what the word says. Yeah. I believe it. Mm-hmm. 
Now what do I do with that? Gary, that's a really hard decision. I didn't have to make that because I did not have a church. Yeah. I could say and whatever I believed within my ministry and people could take it or leave it, but mm-hmm. I did not have, um, I was not invested. That's where this, this is why I tell people when they ask me, like I go teach about the feast and they say, why aren't I learning this in church? And I said, because your leadership is so invested in something else, they have spent time and money in seminary mm-hmm. learning something else. And now you're, you're, you're suggesting that everything that they've invested years and years of their life in and their heart in perhaps is not what God wants. Amen. That's right. That is so hard to do. It is very hard. If you have something to lose. Yeah. And well, you had something to lose. Yeah, so. we did. And I, I, had to, I had to put my faith and trust in, in, in Jehovah, and I did. Um, and I and thank I thank him that uh, it, it all it all went the way it was supposed exactly. to go. Exactly, and and you were blessed to have that word back in 1992 that there there was this direction that God was going to bring you. Yeah, for me personally, for you know, you the, personally. the church continued for at least a couple more years, maybe four years, if, if I remember correctly, it, the church continued under a new leadership. Um, but I had that word from God that, that that this was the calling in my life to help Jewish people get home to Israel. And so I was able to step into full-time work in Ezra International and do that. Right. So, you know, God is faithful. He took, right. he took care of my, you know, my family. Um, and, and, we we moved on, and I believe I did what I was supposed to do. Right, and that's not to say that the neck the other pastors who are hearing this that that's exactly where God's going to bring them. No, it's not. It, Everybody's story is different, right? And, and unique, yeah. exactly. So, but but I think that the um, the wisdom that you would share is to what well, expect that this is not going to be an easy process, which True. I think most of them would know. They would know. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing is when we when we switched our service to the Sabbath, we had a local reporter come to the church and they actually posted the, the whole move on in the newspaper and interviewed some of my peers locally uh, in our in our movement. And they could not argue. They didn't argue. They said, no, that's, you know, that's perfectly, if as long as it's biblical, he can do what he wants kind right. of thing. But none of them did it either. You right. Know? Uh, but I just thought that was interesting that they recognized that it is biblical. It is biblical. I yeah. think that when you can just go straight back to the word, it, mm-hmm. it, it, that does then confound people. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they can reject the word. Yeah. They can. Or they can say, what we've heard many times, I know this is what the Bible says, but, but that's yeah. the key. Yeah. You know, I, early in the early 2000s, because of my dance team ministry, I attended something in Orlando. They called them at the time Messianic Israel Conferences. And it was people like me, lots of dance teams. A lot of this stuff was being taught in churches through dance teams which that women led, which I find, find, find to be very interesting, that many of these moves of the Holy Spirit often do come through women because women are sensitive to the Spirit. Um, and so it was coming through this dance and drama. So there were, I'm not going to say a lot of us, but when we all got together at a conference, it felt really great (laughs) to be there. So I was blessed. I, I, I think I've mentioned before, there was a couple in Orlando, the Wootens, um, Angus and Batia and Batia had been given a message from God about the restoration of the kingdom. And her message kind of geared around the Ezekiel 37. Mm-hmm. And what the, I've come to know is the two sticks prophecy or the two house prophecy. This is specifically related to sticks coming together. And I remember going to the conference and, um, I actually remember my friend Teresa, right before going to a conference, sat me down in a restaurant in Merritt Island and saying, I want to share something with you and show you something in the Bible that you may not have seen before. And she brings me there to Ezekiel 37. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. I, I, I had another one of those experiences, Gary, where God said, everything in your life now is going to change. (laughs) This is another big paradigm Mm -hmm. shift, Kathy, that I'm showing you. And I knew it when I was sitting there. And that's when I stepped from blessing Israel to becoming part 
of right. Israel. Yeah. That was huge mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I remember that I remember just like, where were you when the challenger, you know, blew up? I know exactly where I was right. and what was happening when that, when that happened. And it was the Ezekiel 37 prophecy that, that did it for me because the word challenged me. Mm-hmm. And, and now I had to decide what am I going to do with that? in my own personal life. So that was when I started looking at those decisions about keeping the Sabbath, about eating kosher. And I always tell the story, I made that decision to eat kosher, flew home to Indiana for a family reunion and get off the plane. And I get there, they're having a big meal. I swear to you, everything had a pork product in it. Absolutely everything. And so I'm like, I got a hot dog bun. (laughs) And I was like, okay, God, this is green. This is a good sense of humor. I just made this decision. Uh And I was like, okay, this is how this is going to go, right? (laughs) It does too. I mean, every every church meeting I went to after that, it was like they had pulled pork. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So what I'd like to do is, Gary, could you read that part? of Ezekiel 37. Um, I've got it here. It's, it's, it's Ezekiel 7, 37. Mm-hmm. Um, Starting in verse um, 18, uh, I think. Yes. Maybe. When your people ask yes. you. When your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on, and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from around, from, from all around and bring them back into their land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them. They will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. So when I saw this, once again, I didn't fully understand what this meant, mm-hmm. but I knew that it impacted me in some way. And what, I, what, what I'm telling the audience now is we are actually going to do a podcast, uh, probably the next one, about this whole Judah and Ephraim idea and the sticks and how historically, uh, as you read your Bibles, this division happened within the kingdom or nation of Israel Mm -hmm. and how God's not happy with that division. And so he's trying to bring uh, the two back together as one. So I did not, once again, understand what that meant, but I knew that this meant something to me that was going to be absolutely life-changing, similar as you were getting your Romans 11. This is actually another way of kind of saying well, it is. 11. And, and Paul says to the Ephesians in, in chapter 2, he says that you are uh, the Gentiles once far off a foreign uh, outside of the covenants have now become part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's another way of saying That's it. That's another way of saying yeah. it. And in fact, we will see that everything Yeshua did was about the restoration of the kingdom. That was mm-hmm. what he was uh, wanting to accomplish and will accomplish. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we can decide whether we're going to be part of that or not, but we're talking about, there was my word restoration. Yeah. Now I was starting to understand this kingdom part. What exactly did he mean by that? This kingdom uh, of Israel that yeah. had been split apart and now was coming back together. Yeah. So that was another big big thing for me that was difficult. And I will say, Gary, and you know this to be true, because I even came to you with this understanding. And this was more challenging. Because it was because I think for me, I had such an aversion to replacement theology that what what I feared from some of the things I was hearing from some, not all, and not not in the writings of Batia, but in not from you, but was that basically we are Israel. And I thought, oh boy, right. this sounds like replacement theology yes, to like, me. Like God's done away yeah. with yeah. Yes, yes. And so I had to do a deeper dive and and you know again because I respect and and, and uh, cared for you and and Teresa and I thought oh I need to look into this. And so I did. And where um 
where the prophecy of Jacob, where it says, um, uh, you will be a, a nation and a company of nations. In the Hebrew, it's kahal goyim. And that, that, that goes all the way back to the Torah, and it gave credence to what you, everyone was saying, or what you were saying. It says God told Jacob that not only would his nation grow, because it uses two words there. Mm-hmm. It uses the word for a, you know, just that nation expanding, and then it talks about kahal goyim, a company of the, the nations, not it, just Israel, would come in. He would be, this would be Jacob. That's this right. would be his Israel. heritage, Israel, which is Israel. Which is right. Israel. So right. that freed me up, and I thought, okay, maybe there's some of those disciples who are going a little off the deep end, but no, this is God. This is truth. And that is where we sit now. Obviously, God's revealing things, you know, all the time, and where some of our colleagues um, who love and bless Israel haven't quite come to that understanding with us. Mm-hmm. Gary, you and I have laughed throughout the years as God reveals more and more to us. We say our friend group gets smaller and smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we lose people, so to speak, who are like, oh, okay, I can not I can go this much in yeah. Scripture, but I can't take yeah. that part of Scripture. That, I can go that far. And, and yeah. I'm blessed that there are lots of people who love and bless Israel. Mm-hmm. I Love that. It's so important in Mm -hmm. ministries out there that I support who get that. But there is a next level of understanding that I believe is absolutely necessary for the restoration of the kingdom to occur in its finality. Mm. It's right here and never again be two nations, but but one nation. And what does that mean? It, It means that the people of Israel, the people of Judah, even they don't, um, they're not grafted into something that uh, the nations are part of. We're grafted into them. What does that look like? We're grafted into their family. Um, We now, just as you would join any family, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, what's what holidays does this family celebrate um what did this what does this family eat yeah, you do, know if you were adopted you would do exactly what that fam- that adopted family would do absolutely yeah. i went to a wedding of one of the girls i mentored um a couple weeks ago and she's marrying a, a man whose family was cuban and so the food was all Cuban and everybody was mm-hmm. eating that, right? Mm-hmm. So great. And, you know, Teresa, I talk is Italian and, and she got married and, and she makes these Italian meals for everybody. And as new people come into the family through marriage, they're eating Italian food, right? Right. And, and that seems so natural to us in the physical world. But for some reason in the spiritual world, we don't quite get that. Mm-hmm. But, but, that's what's the beauty of God's word is in its simplicity. And if you can get if you can get rid of all the theology yeah. and I and man-made ideology and get back to what the word says, it's really pretty simple. You know, that's you just hit the key because I think that's exactly what Yeshua was doing when he in his ministry, clearing the debris of the man-made traditions. He kept remember when he would say, You've heard it said, but I say to you. And when he when he said I say to you, he was going back to the Torah. Where he when when he said you've heard it said, he was talking about the oral traditions. He was talking about the things that were added on added top, on, the man-made right. traditions. Exactly. Yeah. And and we can now start we can separate those out. What I try to do now with our ministry is, uh, and what we're teaching here is, let's get rid of, just like Jesus said, any traditions from both our traditional, from both the Christian side or the Jewish side mm-hmm. that that uh, either negate the word or pull you away from God's true word. Amen. You know, I think that's one of the warnings, and we may have shared this before, but when people uh, discover their Hebraic roots, you know, we've had all these traditions in Christianity, man-made traditions, then the pendulum swings, and sometimes it swings so far that it goes and it picks up all of the traditions of man and Judaism. Right. In the center where that pendulum should have stopped, true north is what the Word of God. Right. And that's where we need to center our lives. Absolutely. You know, as when we've talked about it some, as we've come to these understandings, particularly this final one of who we're part of, mm-hmm. there has been 
resistance in our life, you as a pastor, okay, yeah. in your congregation, uh, within our families. Um, I have been greatly blessed because my family, for the most part, has been very, very, very supportive, even when they didn't get me or they looked at me like I had two heads at the beginning of all of this. Mm -hmm. You're like, who are you? You've been this person all along, and we've we've had our bacon and all of this, and all of a sudden you're saying, no, who is this person? Right. You know, that's a... That's a toughie. Well, that's a regeneration from above. That's a that's a real born again. But, <laughs> but you stick to that. Yes, you have to. And um, and I would even say maybe we can address this in further conversations. Is that there? I think there's a false idea that, um, like, if you're with those who will eat the bacon and the pork, you you eat it too. There's no. a false understanding of Paul there. Right. Um, but. I don't believe that. I believe that you stick to God's word. Yes. You you don't break Torah um, as a way of witness to anybody. Agreed. It, it's the it's the following of the commandments that is the most powerful witness. And we don't have a better way, especially not breaking the commandments to witness <laughs> no. about who kept the commandments perfectly. That's not the best way to witness. No, it's not. I mean, you know, in fact, you know, he said, if you love me, you'll keep, keep my, my commandments. commandments. And he also said that if you teach, if you break them and teach others, you'll be the least in the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 5. Yes. And, and you know, I remember standing up in the pulpit when, during this time when I was trying to make this transition very strongly. I said, I did not get up this morning and desire to be the least in the kingdom. That's right. And what's so, the point? And, and if what's you're the point? Doing this, let's so, yeah, just do so it. <laughs> let's, yeah, and so I'm going to teach you to keep the commandments, not to break them. Right. And the other thing that in this kind of series uh, that we're kind of addressing, like who am I, um, it's very important as you come to these new, under, these new understandings to seek out like-minded believers, you're not going to find people in agreement about everything that you, all the time, but where you can find those people, it is very important because those people that you mm -hmm. hang around with, if they are, uh, if they're not where you are, it does pull you back in that direction. Yeah, and if your conviction is that this is truth because this is what God's word says, then you have to be careful of that. And I'm not saying that you, you know, make yourself an island. I'm not saying that at all because we are to congregate and we have mm -hmm. an opportunity to teach people who don't know. And I think that that's, that's important, but it's comforting to find others who it are like-minded. And for some who may be in places, we don't have it. We're blessed in Florida and in our area that we have a lot of like-minded people, Thank God, yes. um, but some don't have that. I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. At least we now have the internet and we can connect with other organizations, congregations that are like-minded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and learn from them, which I think is really important. But I think in all of this, we just have to, if this is the direction that God is calling you in, um, be strong in that and, and don't let others talk you out of it. Amen. And uh, you're right, Kathy. I think it is, it is important that we have friends, fellowship, uh, to support one another. But even when you find yourself alone in a situation where no one believes the way you do, if that is your faith, I mean, what, you know, is it, is it true faith if, if others can talk you out of it? That's exactly right. Right. I mean, and I think you're, I think that was something your daughter said. That's wasn't right. It? Right. Um, you have to, um, you have to be able to, to, to know the word, know what you believe and stand by it regardless of who, what people are doing around you. I hope everybody in the audience has found this um, interesting. You get to know a little bit more about us, but I'm hoping more so that it's helpful uh, to those of you who are walking this same path, maybe a few steps you know, further back than we have. We've had this advantage of walking this for some time, but we want to be helpful to you. In the introduction, I told you that I recognized that it was God who was revealing to me about the Hebraic roots of my faith and my place in the family tree because it didn't come from my little brain. It was not on my mind. I did not come up with it. Only the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, could have done that. And what I quickly realized was that the Ruach was revealing these same truths to others. Not everyone, of course, but to enough others for me to see that something was up. And this is how God works. This is not a movement of man. God opens our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand. 
In the book of Matthew, chapter 17, it records a similar experience that the apostle Peter had. And it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. That revelation of God to Peter was for that time in that place. The revelation that God is making to us is for this time in this place. God chose, chose each one of us to be alive at this point in his timeline of kingdom redemption. The wind, the Ruach, is initiating a change of season, so to speak. This new season doesn't negate the importance of what happened before, but what happened before certainly shouldn't negate what God is doing now. God is bringing the two parts of his family back together as one. Yeshua himself is breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Our Father's heart's, heart's desire is that the two shall become one. This is going to take a lot of work, but when we're willing to partner with God, there is no more rewarding work in the world. Someone has to be willing to be about our Father's business at this time and this place. Why not you? Just as Mordecai told Esther, per perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.